Good morning. Today's reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 118, verses 1 and 2, and 14 through 24. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of the righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us hear now John's account of why we are here today. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the marvelous word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. It is not, not human words that give life, but your word, your holy word. Send your spirit upon us, we pray. Plant your word in our hearts and let it bloom and bring forth life in us. Amen. With all due respect, I don't care what Jesus says. If ever I hear him call my name, if ever the veil separating heaven and earth is lifted and I look up to see standing in front of me, Jesus, or any of the people I have loved who have died, if ever I see them, not just in some vision of the heart's eye, but in substance and shape and form, in a familiar voice, speaking my name. After the haze is cleared and after I collect myself from the state into which I will have fallen, I am going to reach out and try to touch them and hug them and just hold on tight. Mary must be hugging Jesus or clutching or grabbing him. She must be trying in some physical way to close the distance between them and connect with him. You bet she is. That is what love does, isn't it? It closes the gap. It crosses the distance that separates a person from another. Isn't this exactly what God's love was doing when God took the long journey towards humanity and became flesh in Jesus Christ? Wasn't God reaching out to close the distance between us and hold on tight to us? That is what love does. 
Mary has loved Jesus. She loved him to the bitter, violent, traumatic end. No doubt Mary has recounted those last days in her mind since it all went wrong. Played and replayed Jesus' last words in her memory, mining the sounds for something to cling to. No doubt she is stunned to find herself standing in a garden of tombs. How did it come to this? Only a week ago, they were so happy. They had such tremendous prospects for the future with this Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. You have been in Mary's sandals. Or you have stood in some place of death with someone weeping, aghast, stunned, wondering how it had come to this. Mary has buried the one she loves. And when the stone sealed the door of the tomb, her future and her hope of anything ever really changing were buried with him. Now she stands alone at the mouth of the grave. And Jesus calls her name. What is this? Her love has slipped off the raiment of death, says the poet, and come forth living, robed in light, all resplendent through the sepulcher's tightly closed door. He is well and whole and most definitely alive. Mary does not yet realize what she has stumbled upon. She does not comprehend that she is looking beyond the borders of the finite into the infinite. Her feet are planted in a three-dimensional world. <clears throat> Her lungs breathe CO2. Her eyes peer through retina and cornea. But she is looking beyond the sphere of destruction. And she is seeing the sphere of salvation, says Paul Tillich. In the doom of the temporal, she is seeing the manifestation of the eternal. Standing in the grave. Mary has come upon a door that has been opened. She has come upon the one who is the door to life in God's realm. And that life is streaming in from beyond through him. Of course, she wants to hold him tight. Don't. Don't. Jesus rebuffs her. I imagine he says it kindly, if a little bluntly. It is a strange moment. A lot of earnest conjecture focuses on this moment when Jesus gently removes Mary's hands. Conjecture about what this gesture reveals about the nature and substance of Christ's resurrection body, and therefore our own. But however much we would like to know what a resurrection body is like, this moment does not tell us. 
There will be other clues for that mystery later. Jesus' rebuff of Mary's touch on the morning of the resurrection is not about the nature of his body. It is about the nature of his mission. I have not yet ascended to the Father, he says. Don't hold on to me, Mary, because I am in the middle of something here. Don't hold on to me because this thing that has happened, this thing that is happening, this mystery, this impossibility, it's not about you and me. It's not about picking up where we left off and going on as before. Life is not ended. It is gloriously true. And yes, Mary, go and tell everyone that death has been reversed. How is that for a slight of God's hands? Who else but the Lord of creation could conceive of and pull off such a magnificent feat? You are the first to know, dear Mary, that the horizon of your existence has been erased. And now there is no boundary, no limit to the time that you and I have to love each other. Life is not ended. But Mary, it is changed. Mary and Jesus cannot continue on as they had before. The author and giver of life is not merely picking up where he left off. He is writing a completely different story. <clears throat> Christ's crucifixion was not a cosmic pause button which interrupted creation for a few hours. And in the resurrection, God was not just hitting resume and continuing with the same old story that would creep on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Christ did not go up against the powers of evil, take on the weight of sin. Christ did not plunge into the cosmic vortex that threatened to suck the whole creation into its depths just so that we could carry on with the existence we lived before he waged the battle. An existence bound by fear and driven by forces we cannot name or control. Christ did not descend into hell and come out again so that you and I could have some time off work on Friday and go back to our old tricks on Monday. Christ suffered and died and descended into the harrowing, lightless, lonely depths of hell so that he could carve a way out. God raised Jesus from the dead so that the grave would become a gateway to a new order of life, a gate that swings both ways. Yes, God raised Jesus from the dead so that we would see the glory that awaits us shining from his face, an inheritance that is ours. But also so that this power of the resurrection, this death-defeating, 
evil-trumping, life-transforming, all-persisting power of divine love would pour from that realm into this, and we could live in it here and now. God raised Jesus from the dead so that no one needs to die without hope of something beyond this mortal sphere, but also so that no one needs to live without the hope of something beyond the hells in which mortals can find themselves here and now. God raised Jesus from the dead so that we could live free, not overcome by the realities of whatever situation we find ourselves in. God raised Jesus from the dead so that suffering ones drawing near the threshold of this life and their loved ones who weep silently when the rest of the world has moved on can lean on a power that will raise them up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that families shattered into many splintered pieces, too many to glue back together, can call upon a power to overcome everything that hurts and divides them and raise them up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that lonely men and women whose dreams have dried up like raisins in the sun can be quickened by a power that can raise them up to some life they have not yet conceived. God raised Jesus from the dead so that the men and women of Aleppo and Palestine and Kabul can stand in devastation, hammered out by fanatic hatred, and know that there is a power other than the sword that can raise them up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that peace workers, peacemakers, and aid workers, and diplomats, and legislators need not abandon the effort to put things right, for there is a power that can raise them up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that peoples beaten down by generations of iniquitous policies and practices can find strength and grace in a power not of this world to raise them up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that school students who have cowered in closets and groped their way through splattered corridors need not wait for us adults to change the times, but can turn to a power that is working to get us going and raise us up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that the women who need all those things we've been collecting this Lent and the men who have sent them fleeing for safety to the women's center can look to a power that can set them free of the past and raise them up. God raised Jesus from the dead 
so that children in neighborhoods and teachers in school systems shackled by poverty can work with the power that will raise them up and you should hear some of them sing. Check out the sixth grade choir of Cardinal Sheehan Middle School in Baltimore and hear them sing, Rise Up. God raised Jesus from the dead so that veterans tormented by their demons and addicts tormented by their cravings and children tormented by their peers and sinners tormented by their past can turn to the power that can raise them up and bring forth something no one expects, something new, unseen, and beautiful. God raised Jesus so that no matter how dark and anxious the times, we need never give up on redemption, never give up on restoration, never give up on reconciliation, never give up on transformation, never give up on deliverance from evil, so that we would never need to give up on love. Evil is only the second most powerful force in the universe. Preach South African Peter Story in the height of the atrocity of apartheid in that land. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, a door swung open and the strongest power in the universe came forth. We can live under the rule of that power. Don't hold on to me, Mary. Resurrection isn't finished yet. I have places to go and people to see and things to do. You and I cannot hold on to the one who goes into the grave and comes out again. But we can let this risen one get a hold of us and get on with his work. It's Easter morning, and resurrection has only just begun. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Since the earliest days when they gathered in hidden rooms. This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved, if we hold it fast, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared first to the women, then to Peter, and to the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe that Jesus Christ, the first, the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is our Lord and our God. Amen.